It's time for today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast with your host, three-time national hot dog eating champion and America's college recruiting guru, Dan Tudor. Coach, welcome to The Big Show, the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast, and I am Dan Tudor. I really appreciate you being a part of it today and uh, downloading our podcast. I think you're going to find today's topic really interesting because it's something that affects generally every coach at every division level in every sport in college athletics, and that is defining the culture of your program and how that relates to recruiting and how it relates to building a program and a team, and also the culture that gets defined within a coaching staff, uh, whether or not that's present uh, or not, can really affect if you win or not long-term and if you build the kind of program that you want long-term. And so we're going to dive into that topic with our guest, Teresa Beckman, who is a former Division I college coach, and now she goes around the country and works one-on-one with teams to develop and define their culture. And it's a fascinating discussion that we're going to have with her coming up on today's show. Um, First thing I want to say is thank you for everybody listening as we've started this podcast. uh, We're a couple of episodes in, and the response has been genuinely uh, amazing. And I really appreciate the notes and the comments. Uh, I would ask you, if you can, make sure you subscribe. Uh, either on your uh, on Google Play or Stitcher or it's on iTunes. Uh, we want you to subscribe so you get everything as we continue to build it. it there's going to be some great guests, great content and information uh, today included. And the other thing I want you to do, if possible, is share it with your staff. Let everybody know within your college campus that you're listening to this, that they should too. Uh, whenever there's a larger community, you get more voices coming back in to contribute ideas. And again, as this moves forward, I really want to make sure that I'm not the main voice behind it, uh, that that you take over and that we're interviewing and talking to you about your ideas and your peers' ideas in college coaching and recruiting. Uh, that's the goal of this. So make sure you share it. Uh, tweet it out if you can and let people know that that you're listening to this and that it's available. And that would be great if you would do that. I'd appreciate it. Um, this past week had the pleasure of speaking to uh, the Intercollegiate Women's Lacrosse Coaches Association and their convention down in Florida. Uh, my first time doing that. I really, uh, what a great group uh, and really smart coaches in in that uh, in that association who are hungry for the right way to do things and that was very evident by the conversations that I had with uh, with with those uh, with those individuals while I was there um, the focus that I spoke on and it's a big focus within their organization is early recruiting and there's legislation that they're proposing within their coaches association to really limit the amount of early recruiting that goes on and they're really probably the leaders in terms of coaching organizations uh, appealing that that we should get a hold of early recruiting and really uh, limit it um, and and pull back from this uh, this arms race for sophomores, freshmen, and in some sports even junior hires to uh, to commit to a school. Um, and, and so the big question that uh, that I talked about that I wanted to bring up really briefly here before we get into the meat of our show 
was how to approach that. What is the right way to approach it? And and I'm a realist at the at the at the core of it. If it's happening now with college coaching, I want to make sure that the people who listen to us and that we get to work with are addressing any topic the right way. And so when it comes to early recruiting, the first thing that I would say that I wanted to sort of pass along to uh, to all of you is that it does happen. And in many of your sports and, and in a lot of division levels, if you don't recruit early, you're going to be left behind. And just from a pure talent standpoint, you're going to miss out. So I would, at the you know, goal number one or, or point number one, uh, that I would that I would kind of put forward to you that I did for these coaches is that right now you have to do it and you have to get really good at early recruiting. You have to get good at developing a 24, 36 month, 48 month recruiting plan that encompasses messaging, uh, how you're going to guide them through the process, when you're going to ask. You have to determine all of that. Uh, so how you approach it is 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 critical. Um, and number one, like I said, is that that it's happening, and so you may, you want to make sure that you have a plan for it. The second thing that you want to do is make sure that you do it professionally, because I think some of the knock against early recruiting is that there are so many abuses that happen within college uh, uh, college athletics and early recruiting. You hear about the kids that uh, that made bad decisions. You hear about the kids that um, that decommit because the coach started ignoring them or, or broke a promise. So one of their core responsibilities, if you're going to recruit early, and this is my opinion, it's what I put forward out to the IWLCA convention this past week, is that you need to make sure you're doing it the right way by accurately and consistently explaining to the athlete why he or she should want to play for your program and why you are different than everybody else. You have to communicate that. And if I had to dig into the root of why is early recruiting such a negative in college athletics, it's it goes straight to this point that most college coaches do a very subpar job at telling their story over a long period of time in a way that is accurate so that they do the athlete a service and not a disservice in what they say and, and how they lead them through the process. Um, so early recruiting is a fact of life. It's not going to change anytime soon. And so if you're listening to this, uh, go to dantutor.com and look at our blog. We have so many articles and resources on early recruiting. We have webinars through our uh, our great educational partner, uh, NCSA, Next College Student Athlete, and their website. So if you have a free account uh, with ncsasports.org, you can log in there and watch our videos. And uh, it, it's just... There are resources out there. We've talked a lot about it, but it was just underscored this past week of how important it is to do it the right way so that a lot of these problems that are being talked about uh, don't um, uh, don't exist. Um, the other thing that happened, uh, again, before that earlier last week, was that I took part in a workshop that we led at a Division three school up in the Northeast. And it's a school that we had actually worked with before, and uh, had a great two days with that staff. And really one, one cool story that stuck out that I think at the core is why I love doing what I do so much. But it's also, I think, a good little ray of hope for coaches that think they can't change or can't, uh, they can't do recruiting differently. Uh, there was this, uh, we, we, we went through their workshop and for, for a few of their coaches, we asked them to do something that very typically we do in these workshops. 
is underscoring the importance of, of asking a, an athlete to commit. When you're ready, when you have an athlete on your list that you want, um, that you want to ask uh, if they're ready to commit, uh, we want you to do that. And I think it's one of the things that coaches don't do often enough. And so we went through some of the steps that we felt were right for this school and the way that they should ask and, and when. And we went through a lot of the details that were specific to their school. And we had a coach that uh, came in as we kind of circle back the second day and we're working with these individual staffs and, and going through and, and answering their questions. I asked them or they asked them to tell their story about um, about the recruit that they asked to commit. And this was a younger coach, uh, first little bit of time in her job as, uh, as a head coach. And... Uh, I think as we issued the challenge, she reluctantly accepted it the day before, um, but to her credit, uh, reported back that she followed the steps that we laid out, very specific to their school, um, gave her reasoning why they should do it, and asked, and on that phone call, got a commitment. And the thing that I wish I would have captured uh, in a photo uh, would be that when she did this, she, as she described, and the athlete said yes, and she raised her, her arms in the air, uh, fists clenched in a victory pose, huge smile on her face. Um, and that, for me, was probably the highlight of the week because whenever you can show a young coach especially that you can do this, you can ask for commitments, even at a Division three school, even at a program that maybe in, in her terms, in her definition, would be rebuilding, um, man, that's a good feeling. And that's encouragement for every coach that the techniques, the principles that are discussed uh, on our website at dantutor.com, uh, certainly this podcast, the weekly uh, training email that we that we do, or whether you're a client or we do a workshop, the stuff that we talk about works and it can change the face and the direction of a program. And it was just really fun to see an immediate reaction from uh, from a coach who I think is going to do great things in her career, and uh, so it's just just a, a lot of fun, and I, uh, I I really appreciated the chance to uh, to be there. And if you have an interest in bringing us to your campus, you can find information on that on the website. Um, before we get to our interview, I want to answer two questions that came in through Twitter. And again, every week we'll take your questions that come in. If you send them to me at Dan Tudor on Twitter, you can either uh, just post it or ask me privately in a message. And both of these were were direct message to me. So I want to tell you what the questions were and then quickly answer it before we get to our our really, uh, really great interview with, with our guest. Um, and uh, the first point or the first question comes from a uh, D1 women's volleyball coach. Um, and the, uh, the, the, the question is, is that when you have a, um, when you have an athlete and they are, uh, they are engaged in, or you're trying to, uh, to get them to, um, to answer emails or return voicemails, and they don't, but the mom of that athlete prospect is right on it, and uh, they want to talk and they want to answer, how do you handle that? Uh, and, and, and if you can, how do you change that? And that's, again, from a D1 women's volleyball coach. Um, my answer would be this, is that I don't know that, especially at the start of the process, you worry about who's answering the message that you're reaching out to. I am focused on, are we getting some sort of contact back from the family? Uh, if you're getting any kind of contact back, 
then I think that's a positive. And if, if that's the parent of that prospect and that's the best that you can do, okay, then let's take that and run with it. And then later on, draw in the athlete. Um, I think overall coaches get way too obsessed with, I got to hear from the athlete first and not the parent. And in this generation, what I'm here to tell you is that a lot of athletes defer that initial contact to the parent, especially when it gets to a topic like early recruiting, when they might be a freshman, sophomore, and you're having to uh, try to communicate through a club coach or they're contacting you, or and, and again, even later in the process, early in a junior year when you can email um it, it sometimes the comfortable thing for this athlete in this generation is to have their parent communicate with them. My some my answer to this coach's question is I don't know that I would worry about changing it. I would worry about getting the mom or the dad comfortable in talking to me um, and begin to slowly draw on the idea of letting me talk to their son or their daughter and and also in deference to the parents and in their defense, what I would say is that. If you have a daughter and you have a son and this is the first time going through it and you're naturally protective, it might seem kind of natural that uh, that they that they do sort of run interference and that they do check you out as a coach and talk to you and get comfortable before passing you along to their son or their daughter. So I don't know that I would change it. I would just work to get them comfortable and, and go to it and through it on their terms and then work in a conversation with the athlete. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't indicate that the athlete's not interested or it's going to be a problem down the road. It really just is a matter of sort of uh, how this generation and their parents are interacting many times with the recruiting process. Second question is, what would you recommend a coach do when they have um, – a, a starter who is great on the field, but really a cancer on the team off the field. Um, what do most coaches do in that situation? And that comes from a Division II men's soccer coach who obviously did not want to have uh, his name or or Twitter handle repeated on this. So I'm going to honor that request and uh, and just answer it anonymously. And actually, it is a it's a great lead into our conversation uh, about culture with um, our guest. Uh, Teresa Beckman, uh, which, again, we'll get to here in just one second. Um, I really think there is no easy answer to that question. Uh, There is no stand-pat answer because that puts me in the line of, of, uh, I would say, doing your job as a coach, but really making those kind of tough calls that is the good uh, for the good of your program. So you have to determine uh, the risk-reward for maybe removing a player from the team uh, based on actions off the field and weigh that against what's that going to do uh, to the team negatively on the field. And again, so you could have 50% of the coaches listening to this say, no, you keep them on the field, you get through it because they're a prime player and they're going to determine how your season goes. And then you have another half that would say, nope, I, that kind of player, if they're if they're a cancer and they're infecting the rest of the team, I'm going to deal with it and re- even if it means removing them. You have to make that determination as a coach. How most coaches view it, I think it is a 50-50 split from my experience based on uh, the experience level of the coach, the sport, the division level. Um, But like I said, it really does transition well into this idea of culture. And is that coach on that team developing the right culture? And is uh, is that athlete... Um, for uh, that that coach is dealing with, have they been trained 
to do it the right way. And that really does, again, lead us into this idea of culture, which then leads us into our first guest. Teresa Beckman, who I always accidentally refer to as Beekman and have for the six or seven years that I've known her, so just forgive me because in the podcast, I think I do refer to her as Teresa Beekman one time, but it is Teresa Beckman, uh, spelled B-E-E-C-K-M-A-N. That's that's my out, is that it's sort of spelled like Beekman. Uh, she is the founder of Tree Roots, which... Their mission is to work with college coaches and teams to develop winning cultures and healthy cultures that are going to foster winning programs. And it's an area that I find a lot of coaches not paying attention to and either until it's too late or until they've been fired at job number one and they get their second chance. And now they put a big emphasis on the culture because that usually is the reason that there was a problem with, uh, with their first job. Um, Teresa has a tremendous amount of experience. She was a successful Division I uh, coach in, uh, in women's volleyball. Um, interesting that in college she played softball, but then she ended up coaching college volleyball and also played high school football. Uh, so she's been all over the place and has a wide variety of, of skill levels and experiences, so much so that she's actually been up in a booth uh, at the D1 level assisting uh, football coaches on the field uh, in the headset observing things. So she is knowledgeable, and since leaving coaching in 2015, she has started a practice which has gained a lot of pop- popularity with uh, with college coaches and high school coaches actually around the country where she will go in and teach them how to have good culture, to teach them how to develop that, to teach a coaching staff why that's so important. And, and we wanted to bring her on because it's such a core um, foundational thing in developing a good program that if you don't have a good culture, developing a good program is going to be really, really hard to do. Uh, and we wanted to have her on to to talk about that and to sort of get some of her expertise. And it is a fascinating conversation that I think you're going to love and learn a lot from. And so the first question that we started out with for Coach Beckman was, why should the typical college coach who has a hundred other things going through their mind in a typical day and a hundred other things being thrown at them, why is it so important to focus on developing the right culture within their program if they want to be successful. I think every coach, uh, every college coach, every coach on the planet, I think, but every college coach for sure needs to worry about culture and, and kind of pay attention to culture because it's, it's the greatest path to sustained success. Uh, you know, everybody's working hard. And, you know, it's funny. I was just um, doing, uh, you know, I, I heat my house with wood. I'm in Michigan, and I was just uh, working on splitting wood, and I, I was able to borrow a wood splitter, like a you know gas-powered wood splitter, right. and I and I just think of you know that and, and how it relates to culture. You can work really hard, and you can you know put in all this time and effort in in recruiting, and you could put in all this time and effort to be in the the absolute most cutting edge of every tactic and skill and training technique that it, that are, is available to man. 
but if you're not paying attention to the nitty gritty stuff the the stuff that makes the moments between the moments more meaningful and more inspiring and and get to those that you know that heartstring stuff your opportunity to have the most su sustained success is is just going to be you're going to be behind other people who are investing i guess in that um in that element right and you know you say you know the, the heartstring stuff and the way a team feels and and i can hear coaches already that are listening to this thinking ah you know here's the touchy-feely stuff and look it's just about the x's and o's and these kids are here to play and to win and i've got to win so if i'm a coach and i'm thinking that as i start listening to this interview stop me and, and tell me you know where if i'm that coach where do I, where am i getting it wrong where is it that I need to, you know, relook at at you know, kind of this culture question that we're starting with. Uh, if if I'm a, a college coach here in 2016, well, that's fair. I, you know, and and all those things are, are are right, and I hear them from you know different uh, sports more than others, and um, I think there's some people who think it's it's gender specific, like oh, this is you know this is touchy feely stuff. This is for women's sports, but I, I'll just point to. Well, I, I've heard I've heard men's I've heard men's and women's coaches that might say you know, might say that you know especially at, at high levels. So I, I think you're you know they're, they're speaking to a good number that might be thinking, and maybe this is why they never approached the idea of caring about the culture they create. It, no, that absolutely, and and I you know I would just point back to some of the greatest coaches of all time, including, you know, the great coach John Wooden. I, you know, he talked about that he went, I don't know, 16, about a decade and a half before he won his first championship. He laid the roots to his program down pretty firmly before he really started winning. But once he did, and once those roots were, were firmly like established, he won over and over and over and over again. So this isn't right. me saying, oh, it's got to be, you know, about more than winning and it's all going to be good and we want the experience to be out. Like, I want to win more than anybody, like, really. Like, there's a picture in uh, me and, and my stepdaughter when she was, like, six and we we're on the ice. I live on a lake and we're, we're racing and, on skates, on ice skates. And it looks like I'm elbowing her in the nose. I'm not, but just the <laughs> angle of the picture. But that's the perfect, like, I, I, I'll do, I want to win. And so this culture stuff is not just important because it's going to be deeper meaning so, and, and I mean, all that crap. It's sounding like what you're saying, uh, Teresa, is that that the idea of um, that the idea of winning at the core of it is the culture. Uh, yeah. Yeah, answering the culture question. So, do you think that that is a a more recent phenomenon with this generation of athletes? That the culture and how they kind of interact with each other and and everything like that. Is that a recent development, or is that something that's always been there, but we just haven't paid attention to it until now? I think it's always been there. I think we've paid attention to it in spurts. And, um, like, you know, there was that about eight or nine years ago, everybody just started, uh, you know, studying Coach Wooden's uh, Pyramid of Success and trying to implement that. And, and, it, and it worked a little bit, but it doesn't work totally because they weren't those coaches values they weren't those programs values so it, you can't live by somebody else's values so um yes and no I, and i think the other thing that's that is uh pretty relevant if you haven't read tim elmore he he wrote uh the i write y generation and artificial maturity and um he he has some really interesting points that he makes in referencing this current generation of athletes that we're dealing with and just that 
Um, some of their virtues, some people call them virtues, values, the, and these are timeless values. These are timeless virtues. They've atrophied a little bit um, because of how parents are, are parenting or, or I guess being led to parent their their children. And I don't think that parents are bad people. I, I think that we all have our struggles, but I think that society has led parents um, just a little bit astray in that they're advocating and being agents for their kids rather than um, you know letting them experience the struggles necessary for them to develop the the, the values the timeless values that you see um, deepened through athletics if that makes sense yeah oh yeah absolutely absolutely so I guess the, that that leads into a question that a lot of coaches ask in relation to creating the right team culture and how do you prevent uh, you know bad elements of, of a team culture being developed as it relates to parents <laughs> of this generation. Uh, parents are very active. Uh, in general, what would you say are the, I guess the way you've seen coaches approach parents uh, in regards to building either a good culture or trying to prevent a bad culture? Um, I, I say that because I think a lot of, most coaches would look at parents and the potential negatives that come along with the parents of student athletes greater than the potential positives which I don't think is I don't know if it's fair but that's the way most coaches look at that so kind of talk to the coach who's struggling with how to how to deal with parents and where you see that playing with uh, playing into the culture that gets developed within a college program yeah no I I think that you have to have uh, a plan with how you're going to deal with them and if your plan is to just keep them at arm length and and kind of cut them out of the process I think that you're making a mistake I, I don't think that most coaches are comfortable having them you know in the gym and I don't think that that's necessarily healthy I think coaches should at some or parents should at some point be led or, or be um, I guess yeah led is the best word to, to use I, I suppose be led to um, evolve their role to fan, not agent or advocate, and that's something that they have to learn because yet you, you have to understand that parents have been, I guess, conditioned to believe that they're being bad parents if they're not in an advocate um, or an agent type relationship for their for their kid. And uh, you know, the kids once they get to college, they're they're talking to their parents on average eleven times a day. And wow. Yeah, it's 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 frightening, and and obviously that's not all of them, but that's just a you know just kind of a glimpse at at what they're dealing with. So they have a heavy influence, and if you are just cutting them out, uh, I think you're making a mistake. So I I say this um, about all the groups, anybody that touches your program, I think you need to recruit them to believe in your vision. You have to Sweet. recruit them to 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 kind of grasp on and and live your story and and be fighting for the the ultimate vision that is what you see your program achieving so i can i can almost hear uh coming through the podcast now a coach's thinking as they listen to that and they say hold on coach beekman you're saying that i have to actually incorporate parents into my program into kind of the culture uh, and I mean, I'm sort of, if, if I'm going to support that idea uh, as Dan Tudor, 
I'm sort of saying, you know, they're there whether you want them there or not, and I don't know exactly. that you can change that. So, exactly. so that is what that is what you're saying, correct? Yes, yes, and no. Like, I don't think that they should be there in in you know your day to day stuff. I don't think that they sure um, should, but they are a very powerful group, and they want to do something. So, right. why don't you have them be the ones advocating and helping to market and share your social media things and and perpetuate your story and understand what you guys are going through? And and I, you know, I say this if. As somebody who has coached for 21 years, if my stepdaughter decides to play volleyball, and I don't know that she will, she's in middle school right now, she may or may not, but if she does, I'm not qualified to speak to her coach about anything that's going on inside the team because I'm not there from moment to moment. Unless I'm in the gym, unless I'm in the huddle, I, I don't, I'm not qualified. And and I've coached at, at the Division One level, I've coached at middle school levels, I've, you know, so... If, it's not that I'm not qualified because I don't know volleyball, whether I know it better or worse than the person that's coaching her. It's that I don't know the smirks. I don't know what happens when she receives coaching on a on a day-by-day basis. So I'm not right. suggesting that parents be brought into the program in that way. I'm, I'm saying find them different roles. Find your parent group. Um, you know, invite them in creative ways to be a part of your journey. Mostly, recruit them to believe in your vision. So, so then, if, if I'm, if again, just I want to dig a little bit deeper. So, are you saying or, or observing in the work that you do with uh, with colleges and coaches? And we'll we'll tell coaches later on how to how to work with you to help their teams. Um, sure. But but in, in, in your observations and in your work with teams, are you finding that the problem exists mainly that, that, that college coaches just do nothing with parents? Do they just not engage them at all, do not make them a part of the process, and that's where the problem comes in? I don't think that's where it starts is the problem. I think okay. that um, I, I think many coaches don't realize the amount of undo undoing they have to do in terms of um, how conditioned parents have been, especially if your sport is one that there's a heavy um, dose of club activity, of non-scholastic um, involvement. Um, Volleyball is one of them. I, there are several sports that that are, um, you know, sure. where Basketball, coaches are sort of softball. They're, they're, yeah, yeah, they're paying the bill. Like they're footing the bill for, for the, um, I guess, for the their child's development experience. Um, right. 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 And so it just puts them in a different role. So I think that coaches are under-responding to that type of conditioning that, that parents have have endured or, or, or kind of come up with. Okay. And so when they get, they just don't understand what their role is supposed to be in, in taking on the responsibility to redirect their energies so they don't get, you know, frustrated and and get to the point where they're you're just like the enemy and they're just doing everything they can to undermine and um you know in some cases try to get i mean coaches left and right are being investigated and fired and and these are being started at the parent level in, in many uh, on many occasions so I, I just think they we need to do more to get them um advocating for the child's experience and understanding that it's about the team and not about their kid even though they're always going to care about their kid most. That's okay, but kind of helping them understand their evolving role. So whether it's you know, the root is the parent or uh, a, an athlete that is causing problems within a program, can you kind of give coaches that are listening to this an idea of what are some of the warning signs that they should be looking for? Or if there are, 
if there are things that they see happening within their program that could maybe be red flags that they could be aware of or to measure them themselves right now listening to this podcast. If I'm a college coach, how do I know I've got a culture problem? What are some of the warning signs? I think the, the first initial warning signs can just be, you, I mean, you can see it in... Um, you know, body language, and I don't want to put too big of a emphasis on body language. I, I think I think it's not uh, it's not something with which we want to you know knock a kid down. We that is observable behavior though that we can address and fix. But if a kid is um, not giving you eye contact, if if your team is you know making sideways glances or having side conversations or little murmurs as you're addressing them, that's a that's a problem. If you're um, if they're becoming less and less responsive um, you know a, a lot of times coaches use text and you know different apps and whatnot to uh, communicate with their team if they're becoming not responsive if um, you know parents are, are avoiding you uh, it, you know you'll start to see some of those signs in actionable things where you know after practice you, or here's one if a player this one is, is this a common problem Little Johnny totally accepts his role in your team. Like he, here he is. He's young in your program. He's gonna be. He's gonna be good. He's got a huge potential, but he's really got some ways to go. And so you lay this all out, and you have this, you know, um, you know, these meetings with him, and you're, you're in a good place with him, and he's kind of trucking along. And then you start your competition, and you get a few games into the season. And, and Johnny, did I name him Johnny? Yeah, Johnny. Yeah, he did. <laughs> little, little Johnny didn't doesn't play very much. He's he's in a role. He's in a kind of role type situation. And all of a sudden, you see Johnny's effort in practice. You see some actionable behaviors that suggest that Johnny isn't as dialed in as he was before games start. That's that's a that's a kind of a telltale sign that Johnny accepted his role but that's cool if Johnny accepts his role but he talks to his parents 11 times per day and they come to only the games and all of a sudden you see some slack off or you see some different behaviors come kind of emitting from him chances are even if Johnny accepted his role mom and dad might not have and now that influence is being um, is kind of pulling him away from your vision you letting that go ignoring those types of little things that's death by a thousand cuts. And those are the things that you have to guard with, with every ounce, every fiber of your being if you want to have great culture. So a, just since we brought up this scenario with Johnny, um, walk me through the solution then. So your advice to a coach in that situation, for example, would be what? Because, and, and let me back up a second before you answer, Teresa, that, that I think that situation for most coaches goes on with at least one of their players um, you know once or twice a week I mean throughout their program they might observe that um, on a consistent basis so your advice to a coach in that situation uh, would be what how do you prevent I guess how do you prevent cut number cut number one uh, of a thousand happening <laughs> and that's part of the the you know what I'm talking about when I say uh, in inspire your the parent group as well as your 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 players to believe in the vision if if that's going to be something that's going to take away from your team now if you're you know you might be in a sport where this doesn't matter like it maybe it's a you know a golf team where they play heads up (laughs) and either you win or you don't or tennis or something so but if this is going to if you're in a team sport where it really does matter um that that needs to be part of your culture 
And so you prevent cut number one from getting everybody to believe in your culture. So if, if team first or one heartbeat or whatever is part of your culture and you have made um, a, a purposeful, um, I guess, uh, just a, a purposeful statement about what that means exactly and you've you've drilled that in time after time after time after time again with with Johnny and his teammates as well as the parents as well as the support staff your athletic directors all those people if if everybody knows that hey we're about this that's the best way to prevent it now you're not always going to prevent it obviously because you know you have right. different levels of of buy-in and again, so I'm sort of thinking of the coach that's had this happen at practice three right. times earlier this week before leading, listening to this podcast and hearing you talk about it. So, so like, what would be sort of an immediate stop the bleeding thing to do in that situation with that athlete? Lead through relationship. First thing I'm saying is, I'm, I'm calling Johnny in and I'm saying, I'm not even calling him in. Whenever possible with this generation of kids, do not have them meet in your office. Hmm. Period. Okay. Why, like, is, why you, is that? Because that's, that, automatic- that would be a traditional. That'd be the traditional coach thing to do is call them yep. in to the office. Yep. How's it? How's it working out for us? Like this is a different generation, <laughs> and and they expect a different, um, you know, just a different level of. You don't have to change who you are. You don't have to, you know, compromise any of your values. But but if you want to get to them, it's not what you're saying. It's what they're hearing. So let's let's get them in a situation where we're not uh, you know we're not in power they they have sure this is the first generation of kids as, as tim elmore puts it so eloquently that they have access to all they don't need us for information they can get their hands on every piece of information that we could possibly give them you know what they need us for they need us to interpret they need us to interpret the world and they need us to connect that and those interpretations to values And so if you're automatically, when you pull a kid in your office, especially in the last, I'm going to say five years and and still going forward, you're automatically putting yourself in, in, in an authority, you know, in that power role. Yes, exactly. And, and if I'm leading through relationship and not through positional power, that's the last thing I want to do. I want to get Johnny to open up and I want to get him to really tell me what's going on. I want to get to a place where he's, he can trust me enough to say, Hey, you know what? Ah, you're right. I, I did buy into this, but you okay, know. So, I, I just, so you're saying not in the office, somewhere neutral, and your communication or your message to Johnny is exactly what? I, it's exactly. Let's find out where he's at. I'm investigating. I'm invest. I'm vetting. I'm investigating to discover. I'm trying to figure out where he's at. Why he's taking this turn. You know what? Maybe it's not. Mom and Dad didn't agree. Maybe once he got into the game, he's looking at Steve who's in front of him and he's like well he's just not hustling or or behind the scenes he's a total hypocrite and he's not living by our our program um, goals and I'm letting it get to me and now you can have a conversation about that and you can lead um, Johnny down the right path or if it is mom and dad you could say okay well how can I help you what can I do to help you get the message of what our what it means what team first means or what one heartbeat whatever your culture is what can I do to help you get that message through to your parents so they can understand and they stop um, diminishing your experience? How, ca- how can I help you with that, Johnny? Is it maybe just like, let me role play. I'll be mom and dad. And you can tell me, you know, what, you know, you can kind of get me to understand why you're okay with your so, role. Uh, so what I'm hearing you say is to prevent that from happening, or if that happened earlier this week of practice and the coach didn't do anything or didn't know what to do, what I'm hearing you say, and correct me if I'm wrong, is it really comes down to two things. First of all, 
being aware and observing that this is going on and be prepared to stop it right away. And how you stop that is through communication and through actually understanding where that athlete of this generation is coming from and what's going on behind the scenes and not just assuming everything. Is that Would that be a good summary if I'm a coach listening to this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lead through relationship is essentially what I'm saying there, and that's exactly how you do that. So we've talked about kind of some of the danger signs or the, the I guess, the, the negative outcomes when you aren't managing that culture. In the experiences where you have seen coaches that have really done a good job of managing culture, what are they doing? What are, what are the best coaches doing to, uh, to make sure that the culture is in line with what their expectations are as a coach and the, the person leading that program? And, and specifically, what do you see them doing daily, weekly, monthly to make sure that they stay on course and that it's not just a, a temporary focus, but it actually becomes part of the, the DNA of their, their college program? I think, number one, they're believing in it. They're, they're believing in it through the, like, you can, it like, oozes out of every pore. They're believing in it so much. That's number one. And that belief, they're communicating it on a daily basis. And in, in, in a passionate way and if you're not like you don't have to be super like oh I'm like I'm fiery I'm super energy filled and all that stuff. you don't have to do that as long as you're consistent in, in your belief and you're consistently communicating that belief in in different ways and in the same ways and in creative ways and in, in in the ways that are going to reach that your various audiences because you have your players that you have to reach but if you're only reaching them, as soon as they walk out of your gym or off your field, you're taking steps backwards because if you're only getting them, they don't necessarily have the same communication skills that you do to pass that on. You're gonna do, they're going to do some of it, but they're going to do that more um, with their peers than they are with um, you know, parents and, and others. So you have that audience, your student-athletes. You have the student body. You have your athletic department, so your fellow coaches and your um, the support staff, the administrators, you have that audience, and you have your parent audience, and then you have your recruit audience. So you have these audiences, and you're trying to get them to get the same message. It's branding. It's the stuff that you do, Dan. Like it's 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 selling your program, but you're doing it from a from a visionary standpoint. It's got to mean more, and you can't listen to critics because you know what? They're going to be some. I, I brought up P.J. Fleck is the most amazing example. He's the head football coach at Western Michigan University. They are one of two undefeated teams in Division One football right now. Game day, college game day football was in the MAC. You know they were at Kalamazoo on Saturday, and he has done this. They were one and eleven in year one, and that was in 2013. Here it is, 2016. Right and they're undefeated so and he does exactly what he, I just laid out basically he's one of the better examples of of great culture in that first year he's talking about row the boat they're the Broncos man they were 1 and 11 can you imagine what it was like for him he didn't care he didn't listen he just nope this is gonna this I have a vision and I'm gonna and keep, you know that, that story as you're telling it what it reminds me of on you know with a, a different sort of past uh, past program is North Carolina State basketball uh, the year under Jim Belvano that they made their yeah. great run and uh, and won the championship and if you've seen the ESPN 30 for 30 film on on them boy I mean what a fantastic fantastic uh, story that gets told there 
Um, but his, basically for that team, which was not an incredible, on paper they weren't an incredible team, but as I'm hearing you talk, it reminded me of what Jim Valvano said to his team, was that they, they should never give up, we you got this, we're getting better, we're getting better, and then you know, as it got down you know, to the second half of the ACC season and then into the postseason, every single game, what he was preaching was survive and advance survive mm -hmm. and advance just win this next one and we advance survive and advance and so you bring up a great point that this does not need to be um, a focus group tested um, no. awe-inspiring message it really is whatever applies to your team at the moment or for that year whether you're Western Michigan football or you're Jim Valvano and the NC State Wolfpack it's coming up with something that you repeat over and over and over again. And in that 30 for 30, uh, you hear players coming back and talking about the fact that he would, they remember he said this at the beginning of the season, they didn't believe him that they were going to you know, play for a championship and they didn't believe it. And he just kept saying it. He just over and over and over and over again believed it. And finally they started believing it. And that sounds like it's kind of what you're going to um, yeah. well, you know, with, uh, with, with the culture. I think the very bottom line is whatever it is that you decide to, and, and I would let your players be a part of this process. You might have your underlying, like your overall vision. Like I, I, PJ Fleck did not go into his football team and, and say, hey guys, what do you think? What do you think? Row the ship? Row the, he, no, no, no. He knew. The row the boat is him, right? But but I, I guarantee you, and I don't know, I haven't worked with him directly. I've just I've looked at all of his stuff because it's just a fantastic current story, but I, I promise you his players are being heard by him. I promise you they're a part of the evolution of the program. And the best coaches that I'm, I'm looking at when I watch culture, they're, they're, they're bringing in their players. They're going to feel stronger about it. It's theirs. They have their vision. It's got to be you, and you've got to present it in your genuine way. But their, their players are a part of the evolution, and, and then you, you compromise not at all. You, you never ever let it go you can't say side conversations kill teams and then let two players do it sometimes uh -uh. you have to be absolutely not it doesn't matter if that makes you lose a game next week if you want to win if you want sustained greatness you have to address those little things that coaches for for the sake of getting in their contract renewed or whatever not rocking the boat they, they hesitate to call those things out. And I don't mean you have to demean a kid. Never, ever criticize a kid. You criticize their behavior. So if you have somebody that's go, doing something against your culture and it's an observable behavior, man, you never let that go. You never compromise. If you want sustained greatness, if you want a great, healthy culture, it's, and if you're doing it right, it's never done. It, it, there's no off-season for culture. There's no off-season for leadership. It happens moment to moment every single day. So when you are in your work with, with college coaches, when there is a coach that either you can tell just doesn't get it or is resistant, um, give me some of the reasons why you typically find college coaches resist this whole idea of really setting the tempo and, and defining what your culture is. What, what is it behind that or what, where do you think they're struggling or what do you hear from them that, you know, where they, if they're going to resist it, why is that? Sometimes it's because it just it takes it takes longer. It's you know it's like you know I'm gonna build a I'm gonna put a tent up versus I'm gonna build a house. It, you got a lot more goes into the house than the tent, um, but the tent's also gonna blow over a heck of a lot easier, right? 
So, um, right. you know, some of it is just sheer time. They might, you know, at the college level, there's a lot more that goes, this is people's livelihood. And so right. the, there, there's, there's fear or, I guess, risk involved with, um, you know, kind of slowing down and maybe taking a loss but doing the right thing by your culture. That, that's, a, that's, a little, that's a little daunting for, for coaches sometimes. So that's, that's one of the ways. And, and the, the only thing that I can say is there's just example after example after example throughout the course of, of you know, college athletics where the coaches did it right. And, um, and because they did it right, they're some of the greatest champions. I can't think of a coach, and I actually read this in an art. I, I, I got this somewhere recently, and I don't remember where I'd credit it, but somebody just pointed this out. Like, there's, I can't think of an example where a coach had um, absolute sustained success that didn't have some type of a, a theme, that didn't have some type of a established um, culture, um, I guess, framework for what they were doing. I mean, Pat Summit right. had the, uh, she had the 13, I can't think of it right now, but you know, John Wood, uh, you can go on and on and on. Um, Anson Dorrance, uh, North Carolina soccer coach. Um, so it, there's a re this stuff is proven. It works over and over and over and over again. So it's not really that hard to get coaches, plus it feels good. So it's gotta be more about winning. And I think most coaches know that right. intellectually, but, but sometimes they hold back because they just don't even know where to start, and that's you know that's a little bit why I'm I'm doing what I'm doing because uh, yeah. I, I just it, it it matters like this is important stuff, right? For the for so our sports like for our for college athletics it's important. We're on a we're on an interesting path, and we need to we need to fix some things. Right. So the what I'm hearing you say is that a coach uh, that is. Um, that is, is sitting there thinking, boy, I just, I, you know, this is all sounds great, but man, I've got to win now, and this is all about now, and I've got to have this improvement um, this this certain year, uh, or else I'm in trouble. Um, you're saying that it's still, it is worth the investment of time and energy into this, um, you know, into this this culture question. And, and I'm asking this, and I'm sort of answering my own question when I say that I agree with you, and I find out after the fact, you know, when coaches have been fired or they're in their second job or they want to, now they're going to do it differently, it almost always comes back to the fact that they either lost control of their staff or lost control of the team or, you know, boy, next time I make sure, I'll make sure and do it differently. Um, so that's kind of what I, I hear you saying is that no matter where you are in your season, your career, the development of the program, that this is something that is worthwhile to uh, to kind of to spend time at and devote devote energy to. Yeah, because and, I'll, and I'm just going to add to that. Even if you're in your last year of your contract, and if you don't like, say you have some hard firm things where you have to go over 500 or whatever it is, and that's why you're reluctant. Even if that's the case, and and you do this, you won't regret it because you know what? In your next job, you'll be fantastic, and you'll be ready on day one to instill your culture without you know with much more. You have a whole year under your belt because just like any other part of coaching or any other part of you know being a player or development, you're going to get better at this every single day. You're going to have moments. I mean, I've made all the mistakes in the world in 21 year career where you're like, oh, I should have I, I should have addressed that. Man, I let that go and and that was so you're going to get better at this. And I yeah, absolutely. You even if even if that means you're going to lose this job, you'll be better in the next one. And I, I would just add also that you, I promise you. Um, yeah, I ask teams all the time, 
if they feel like they have control over whether or not they win a game. And, you know, almost always like 80% of the, the room, including the coaches, will raise their hand. And I just disagree with that. I, unless you remove the other team and the referees, you don't have full control over whether or not you win. You certainly have influence over it. You have influence over what you do with the 1,440 minutes, you, you know, in your every single day. You have influence over how hard you prepare and, and how well you train and how, you know, um, I guess the meaning that you have for what you're doing. You have influence over whether or not you win by by making all those things great but you do not control whether or not you win or lose so if you're in a situation where hey either you make the conference tournament or you're fired for sure eh, you have nothing to lose in that case because you're not going to be able to control that anyway you might as well be great in your culture right now that is a that that's a fantastic reminder i think to coaches who as you know we all get a little tunnel focus now and then yeah. so yeah. that's that that is a, <laughs> a great reminder and you brought up something else just the idea of the fact that you know here we are you know you're Let's say you're in a situation where you are trying to, you're in the middle of your season, you're developing a program and whatever stage you're at, that also involves a coaching staff. So if you're listening to this and you're an assistant coach or you're a head coach that's the one in charge of really developing and setting that brand and the message, uh, but that's not happening. I mean, how much, I guess, of this, uh, of, of all of this, uh, the culture point also applies to the coaching staff that you're a part of uh, within your program, where, where, I mean, give me some examples or just comment on on what you've seen, good or bad, with with staffs. Or does this really only just apply to the message out to teams and the culture with your players? No, I, I think it absolutely applies to your staff. I think it also applies to the athletic department that you're a part of. And and I think, um, all truth be told, whether you're recruiting a player or whether you're looking for a department to work for, like a, a school that you're going to go take a job for, or whether you're looking for an assistant that you're going to hire, or whether you're an assistant looking for um, a staff that you might join, um, you, you have to, you can prevent a whole lot of, of, I don't know, discombobulation if you, if you really make sure that before you um, make that addition or join that staff that your values um, align, meaning if you're, you know, if you're, if you feel very strongly that it has to be more about winning, you, you shouldn't join a staff that's, that's about just winning. So, um, it, it, that's sometimes harder than others to figure out. But, um, I, I just think, um, I'm kind of, yeah, I'm kind of getting circled around here. I, well, I mean, I, I you know what I, I hear you saying is that, you know, obviously, uh, you know, judge the program, the staff, the department before you, before you take the job. And absolutely, that's uh, that's something that that I think every coach tries to do. Sometimes they do a good job of it, and sometimes maybe they ignore it just because, boy, that's a really good job. It's going to benefit my career, and I'm just going to suck it up and and coach for them, or or hire this person because I need them on my staff, or I need to be a part of that staff. I so absolutely agree with you there. And and what I'm curious about is, what if you're a coach listening to this and you find yourself in the middle of a bad culture that or maybe just an undefined culture with a program what do I do if I'm a head coach and I haven't really done that with my staff what would your advice be and if I'm a, an assistant coach and I'm looking at my head coach for direction or a definition of the culture and they're not providing it what do I do in, in those situations where we can directly just within the within the little bubble of, of coaches at a college, how, how would you kind of direct them or, or what would you say to that coach that's listening to this now? 
That's fair. Um, I, and that's, I kind of lost that as I, I went on the other tangent because you know, I was going preventative first, but okay, so thank you. Um, I, I think um, it, even if you're an assistant, you you know, a lot of leadership happens from the middle. And I think that sometimes assistants forget this. They're like, well, if I could just change. Listen, you can't change your head coach. As a head coach, you can't change your athletic director. You can only change you. You can only influence you and yourself. So if, if I'm an assistant, let's go that route first. If I'm an assistant and I'm part of a, a program and, you know, <laughs> it's been a long career, so I've been on both sides of this, where, um, you know, I, I thought maybe we needed to change. All you can do is try your best to influence the people who who are around you every single day. And so you you can't do more than you can do. You can just influence them. So every single day, you you know you have to know first what you stand for. You have to know first what's important to you, and then try to influence the people around you the best you can. And if you're in a situation that's untenable, then you may have to you know update your resume. If you're a head coach and you're looking to maybe implement or, or so I mean so if you, you want your culture, I guess to be about, what I'm hearing you say is that if undefined. you're a head coach. If, if you're a head coach and you are uh, are tr you need to stop and set some sort of agenda, some sort of sort of definition of what your culture is, that's number one. And if you're an assistant, what I kind of got from that is that it might be up to you to lead and sort of prompt that discussion among your staff if, uh, if, if it's not being defined now, that an assistant coach should have the courage to do that. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. And and bring, you know, have have staff discussions and don't be afraid to as a head coach, don't be afraid to spend time on this. If you're if you don't have a culture defined, the culture is defining you. So, you you really do want to invest some time in in figuring out what what are what you're about. Uh Simon Sinek um or Sinek, depends on how you say it. I think the second one is probably the right way. He um he wrote start with why and leaders eat last. Um, what an amazing resource and he'll talk you through um, there's a TED talk that he's famous for it's like 20 minutes long um, when you start from your why which is essentially from the roots essentially kind of you know what I'm what I'm talking about mostly in what I do um, if you're a head coach and you don't have a culture that's defined yet take a minute to to kind of look into Simon Siddick and why it's important if you're an assistant coach and you really would like your head coach to get behind this idea this might be a resource that you could use to to make that sell, um, or you know, never underestimate the power of an outside voice. I'm not. The, I mean, there are a million people who are doing what I'm doing right now, before a reason. There is a need for this. Right. Well, and and I guess kind of before we get into exactly how you have helped teams and what it is that you do in working with college coaches and their programs on the on the culture issue. Um, you mentioned um, a uh, Simon Sinek and and the the TED talk. If if you could like, what would be if you could give a coach five recommendations just to get started today? Either it's a book or a website or a TED talk or something online. What like give me give me like your top five resources to begin to tackle or define? And, and if a coach could do some research on this, uh, you know. Point them in the right direction with maybe your top five outside resources uh, that they could easily get a hold of and start with today. Wow, this just just five. I, I mean, that's a that's a good one. This is, but I could man, yeah. I got like forty. Yeah, <laughs> I'll narrow it down to your top five out of your top forty. <laughs> okay, fair. And, and when they and when they work with you, then you can tell them the other thirty-five. 
That, okay, fair. Oh, yeah, see, there's a teaser. <laughs> I like it, Dan. I like yeah, it. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, I, I would say, gosh, um, John Gordon, um, the Energy Bus, his new one that he co-wrote with Mike Smith, you went in the locker room first. That's amazing. He's got some really great stuff uh, in terms of really addressing your culture and making it, um, you know, be positive. John Maxwell is um, just an unbelievable, um, I guess, resource for leadership. Brene Brown uh, has a, an amazing TED Talk on the power of vulnerability in leadership and um, also one on trust. And she has a, an amazing acronym for trust because I think in all of this, culture really, the, the, the bedrock of the foundation is trust. Um, and then Simon Sinek is, is one of my all-time favorites. And then there's um, another podcast that I, I love and and instead of a fifth, I'm making it a book. I'll just, the Entree Leadership Podcast, and it's totally a business podcast, but I have listened to it since it started. And they have all of their, um, the podcast from day one, you can access them all. And it's been around for several years. I listened to that one first and foremost um, on my commute when I was, you know, before I was in business for myself, when I was a college coach. And it was very applicable to what, I was doing on a daily basis. So I think that um, the Entree Leadership Podcast is is absolutely, I'll leave that as my fifth and final, but mostly just read everything you get your hands on because that's it, 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 more than just for getting the information, but it's, it's also um, it, the, the thoughts that it will help provoke in you as it relates to your program in the immediate now are, uh, it, that's, it's just priceless. And I want to ask one huge question on this whole topic of uh, of developing the right culture um, here in just a second. But really quickly, just to sort of bring people back to where to where you are, uh, former uh, college coach at Ferris State, Central Michigan, and then you left and you left coaching and you struck out on your own. And I know that there have been coaches that I've talked to that are that have contemplated this, that have done it or tried to do it. Uh, and there are coaches that are listening to this right now thinking, boy, I'm you know, about fed up with coaching and I'm going to go and I'm going to start to, uh, to maybe the, the grass is greener on the other side of the uh, professional fence and I'm going to jump over and get out of coaching and, and do something uh, outside of, of college athletics. Um, I, I just I just speak personally for a second. You, you've done it. What was the hardest part? And I mean, just how it talk to a coach who's thinking about that, because obviously you put a lot of thought before you did it uh, into the decision. Um, so, kind of give coaches some feedback on on what that process is like, and and maybe what the scariest part was uh, when uh, when you did it before you actually made the jump, or after you made the jump. Well, I mean. <laughs> It's a that's kind of a loaded question. I could go on for a while. I'm, I'm gonna try to keep it short and sweet. But mine was a little bit uh, not totally voluntary. I, you know, so my head coach um, uh, resigned after the season, and I was the associate head coach or first assistant. That's a fancy name for assistant. Um, and you know, when you go through the, the scenario that we went through, like he he was suspended, you know, midseason. There was you know parent issues, like we're talking about. Like this is some of the reason that I'm doing what I'm doing, but not all of it. I had been thinking about it before this. Um, uh, so the, Central Michigan did what they should, and um, you know I have no ill will towards them, but I was not renewed as of December 1st of 2015. That was my last day of coaching, and so it was, um, it, you know, unfortunate. 
and and terrifying but I'm in a place where I I just I refuse to move and on top of that I am also in a place where I'm I'm talking to coaches my colleagues um, both you know where I worked previously and just all over the country it's a small world and there's a lot of frustration right now in in coaching and it, it the, the profession has sort of taken a turn um, just a frustrating turn and it's and it's overwhelming at times and it's all consuming and, and I did it for 21 straight years at different levels and this was the first year that it, this was my you know a huge part of my identity so it was terrifying and um, Central was very supportive in in you know kind of how we severed ties so it gave me a little bit of a uh, you know a, a time warranted cushion there so I could figure out how to do this and it was a lot of you know trial and error I'm just figuring it out as I go but okay so the scariest thing is uh, you know, you don't have, you, you know, I don't get deposited into my ba my bank account every two weeks, a paycheck. So it really is, uh, you know, you have to make sure that you're, you're, you're finding work. Um, but the, the most gratifying thing is that I'm helping coaches regain their love and excitement for, for their profession. And, and, and just, if, if I'm doing nothing else, then I get to just be there, like, you know, on the other end of the email or the other end of the phone or through a video chat or whatever, when they're going through those times and I can sort of, I can relate, like I've been through good and bad, just like every other coach. And it, like just being able to get to get through the whole journey of a season and having a coach come back and say, okay, I, I, this is great. Like, I'm so happy. This was one of the best things that, that we could have done with our season because now I'm, I'm excited about this again. I mean, coaches are getting beat down and, and I don't mean to say like, you know, it's all bad and you know, woe is coaches. Like it's a pretty cool job. Don't get me wrong, but um, I just want them to enjoy it more again, because I, I think it's become a business and I think parents, you know, you kind of mix in how, how parents are in society right now. And if I can affect change for the student athlete so that experience can be the most rewarding possible experience that it can be then yes it's totally worth it it's terrifying it's exhilarating there's all kinds of change i don't know that i'm done coaching forever because i do miss the competition but if a coach is thinking about jumping out i'd say just hang on just a little bit longer it's about to get better mm, that's that's a that's a good message um like I said, I have one big question to kind of make sure I drive home with coaches that I'm going to ask you in a second. But um, as college coaches look at improving their culture and they might be looking for somebody to help them do that, and I mean, I can highly recommend what you do. You've spoken at the National Collegiate Recruiting Conference in the summer and uh, you were hit and you are uh, fun, energetic, and expert at, at what you do. So if somebody wanted to bring you in and have you be that outside look into their program and I know you've worked with a lot of different programs with with a lot of great success uh, over this uh, the, the last year um, since you left uh, college coaching what how do they get a hold of you where can they go to get your resources and and kind of along with that maybe your your 30-second elevator pitch as to why they should want uh, you uh, Teresa Beekman and and Tree Roots to come in and and help them uh, with with where they're at from a culture standpoint mostly I just want to help them enjoy the heck out of what they're doing at, from a deeper level it's got to be about more than just winning you're gonna win a lot trust me but it's got to be about more than that if if you want to be invigorated uh, so you're not feeling like it's a 
it's a it's a drudge to go there so um, you know we do workshops and all kinds of stuff and just you know I, I'm gonna see your culture from a completely different point of view so um, you're like a fish in water you can't see it all the time so that's what I, I help you do uh, people just email me at tree at treerootsllc.com you can uh, go to my website at treerootsllc.com I have a podcast called coaching from your roots podcast you can search that on iTunes or Google Play and um, you know I I just I, I want to help as many coaches and through them as many players as I possibly can have the same unbelievable experience that I did as a college athlete. That's going to wrap it up, Coach. Another big show is in the books. Thanks to our guest, Teresa Beckman. Really recommend her for your staff and your team if you want to develop a winning culture. If you want winning recruiting ideas, go to dantutor.com. Don't forget to tell your friends about the podcast and subscribe. And until next time, Coach, be great out there and have a fantastic recruiting week. Okay, so my big question that I want to end with uh, before coaches get a hold of you and uh, and begin to work with you directly, because I, I can hear coaches that they've listened to this entire podcast thinking, okay, I like what I I like what I've heard, and I see the need. There's always been that need either within our staff or within the team that I'm coaching, um, but I'm a little afraid of what this is going to entail. So. Just as a, to be upfront um, with coaches as they go through this process, either on their own or with you, uh, especially if they have never really paid attention to the culture aspect of their program before, give me an idea of what is the hardest part about starting or the challenging thing that you've had coaches uh, really either need help getting past or, or just struggle with the idea of embracing a certain part of of your philosophy and what you've helped teams do. What, what, is, what is the biggest hurdle that you've had to see them get past and, and get over? Um, I think the biggest hurdle is probably getting coaches to realize uh, that 
about 10% of your job is going to be whatever sport. Like I've worked with coaches along the way and just even in this last year who are just simply amazing, like just, just so smart about their sport, their sport. And they've forgotten more about their sport than many people will ever know. And getting them to realize that that's, that's really cool, but it's really only about 10%. If you, if you want sustained greatness, and I'm talking like 10 time national champion greatness like really being at the very 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 top of what you do you'll get you'll adopt the idea that that's really only 10 percent of of the of the show and if you start to come from a different place and it might it's going to be extremely uncomfortable at first for coaches those coaches who are like that's you know they're just genius sport people it's going to be uncomfortable for for a lot of them to figure out like they're mostly doing this. They're just doing this on um, just kind of by accident. So getting them to realize that, hey, you're doing this, let's point it out and let's increase our self-awareness of, of the program and about and what you're really about. That's gonna be uncomfortable. And then, and then I, I think kind of going along that same line, just the process of going through and figuring out what, um, is important enough to put in there what's important enough to establish as part of your culture without making it so expansive you know I ask coaches all the time hey so what are your values and they're like oh no we have it here in the in the in the binder it's in the it's in the book I no. if you can't rattle it off if it's not something that you can just be like hey we're about this so going back to PJ he's row the boat he knows exactly what that means everybody who's affiliated with Western Michigan football knows exactly what row the boat means. If, you know, whatever it is. So if you have these values and they're listed and they're in your book, that's cool. But if you, your players, everybody that's a part of your team doesn't know what they are, can't rattle them off, and then it doesn't exist. And so getting coaches to realize, yes, maybe you spend some time to have a mission statement, but if it's in your folder and it's not on the, it's not stained into the brains of every single person on your staff, and on your team, it doesn't exist. Getting them to, to really, you know, kind of get that idea and, and get that and really adopt that idea, I think that's probably the biggest challenge. And it's there's a process that, that you know, we take staffs and, and, um, and teams through, and um, it seems to be going, it seems to be going pretty great right now. And, uh, you know, we've had some really good results here just in a short little bit of time.